Welcome, friends, to episode 12 of the Central Florida Presby cast. And uh, Cheryl is with me. I am Jody Mask, and uh, I'm associate pastor of Markham Woods Presbyterian Church in Central Florida Presbytery. And uh, Cheryl, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I am Cheryl Carson, the Associate Executive Presbyter for Central Florida Presbytery, and I'm glad to be with you as well. So y'all ready to start this magical Christmas edition of our podcast? Cheryl, that presumes this is going to be released before Christmas. It will be. Are you confident that we can get it done? I am absolutely confident it will be out the door by tomorrow, which I think is the 17th, if I'm not. um, See, you you should, you messed up already. You should have said the 17th. You should just said tomorrow and people listening to this six months from now will be like, oh, well, I don't know when that was, you know. (laughs) Yeah. This could be June, right? Yeah. That's the fun about podcasts. Time is is uh, very flexible. You know? We are timeless. Ah, that's it. Timeless. <laughs> we'll introduce our timeless guest uh, momentarily. But first, as always, we begin with CFP News. Cheryl, what is going on? Yeah, so this is not so timeless information. Um, we're hoping that uh, for those of you who will be listening to the podcast um before these things happen, um, you'll get the latest information. But the the biggest thing is to make a note that the Presbytery office will be closed for the Christmas holidays. We're going to be closed from December 24th through January 2nd. So um, what a sweet gig that is. I I wish I had that gig. Oh, wait, I did have that gig at one time. Yeah, but this is the first time in my tenure here that we've actually closed the week between Christmas and New Year. So anyway, um, another thing coming up in January, January 29th is the Presbyterian Women's Gathering. It will be via Zoom and it's from 9.15 to 1 o'clock p.m. Um, There will be workshops and all sorts of other fun things, including worship and and that type of stuff. You can find more about that at pwcfp.com. And you can register there and you need to register by the 20th of January. And then the other thing that will be landing on the website soon is um, registration for coal which will be coming up on Saturday, February 26th from nine o'clock to noon. We'll be doing two workshop sessions. And then from 12.15 to 1.30, we're going to do lunch and learn. And we're featuring representatives from Presbyterian Disaster Assistance who will be speaking about leading in and out of a season of trauma. Um, It will also be via Zoom, and um, we'll be recording those workshops, so if you can't make it on that Saturday, we'll hopefully have some of them available for you to listen to at a later time. We will like you to register for that a week ahead of time as well, and it will be on the website at www.cfpresbytery.org, and it'll be under the Equip tab. And that's like CFP is CF Presbytery, Central Florida Presbytery, just in case it's hard to understand by audio, the letters that I'm giving you. And that's it. Central Florida Presby cast after all. So there you go. There's lots of C's, lots of F's, lots of Presby's. It can be a little confusing. It can be. So 
anyway. Oh, and, and speaking of, of weird words, you, you mentioned that event is called coal, which I'm used to saying just that way. But if, if we have a new listener, what does that stand for? You're so astute in, in offering that up. Um, it's church officer and leader education. So it's not C-O-A-L, it's C-O-L-E, like coleslaw. Oh, I never even thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be coal in the stocking. No, time. no bags of coal. Good stuff. So we get our stocking coal in January. I yeah. see how that works. <laughs> All right, February. <laughs> yeah, whenever. Um, all right, so that's it for the news. That's that's it. All right, well, that's pretty pretty light slate, all things considered. Um, but that's the time of year. A lot of folks are busy uh, preparing to uh, welcome the Lord back to Earth, so to speak, and uh, that is enough for our plates. Um, and we are giving thanks for uh, that time. Uh, today, however, we do have a special guest with us, a special guest that uh, was also at our winter presbytery meeting, which takes place before winter. Uh, we're seasonally challenged here at Central Florida Presbytery. All of our seasons, uh, we start them off early with our meeting time. So, yeah, and, and you know, winter in Florida is kind of a, as a joke anyway, you know, because we don't really have winter here. Let's 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 be honest. This is extended dance remix fall right now. I don't know, and, Jody. Uh, for this Floridian person, it sure felt like winter a few weeks ago, where we had like that two week stretch that was like in the sixties for a while. It was sixties. Like, oh, I know, it was, it was like rough. it's crazy. I can see our snowing next week. Our guest, see, we do this on Zoom, friends, uh, so we can see each other even though you can't see us, which is really a bonus for you. You don't want to be looking at us anyway. <laughs> but if you could, you would see some serious eye rolls coming from our guest, who is Marianne McKibben-Dana, and uh, she is a reverend and a free-range pastor, and uh, she writes books, she teaches classes, she coaches, she does all of the ministerial things and uh, we are glad to have her with us. Hello, Marianne. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Good We're to see good. you again. And uh, did I miss anything in that intro? Like, what else do you do? No, that, that's, that's about it. And it, it's funny, as I was listening to you all talk, I was like, they haven't introduced me yet, but I really want to chime in about the, you know, the whole thing about when will this podcast drop? Because it's this weird time where, well, I'm sending people emails and I was like, do I, do I go ahead and do Merry Christmas? You know, like, cause it's somebody who celebrates Christmas. And that's the good thing about happy holidays is you can, you can deploy happy holidays early in the month, you know, mm. like you're, you're sort of getting ready for Christmas. So you all have already, you, you, you've dropped the gauntlet. We're ready to, to wish people a Merry Christmas, even on December 16th. And I love it. So, yeah, I had that uh, difficulty too. I just got done sending out the weekly update for, for the Presbytery. And it was like, okay, this is the last one until we, you know, for, right. So I'm going to go ahead and say, have a blessed Advent. A there great you go. Christmas and a happy yep. New Year. Yep. <laughs> it's time. I think it's time. We need a little Christmas right this very minute as the song says. So Definitely. anyway, it is great. To I be remember here. this date we're recording this on December 16th. So yeah, we're, we're in the single digit countdown to Christmas. And uh, for you random trivia people out there, December 16th is the date of the Boston Tea Party. So I don't know, we're hey. like 240 something years uh, after oh my that. Gosh. So get out a cup of tea 
and celebrate, I guess. Uh, perfect. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Sorry. Perfect for those Florida winters. Make an yes. iced tea. Sweet. Thanks. Well, it, so, it, it's 65 degrees here in Reston, Virginia. So I, I can't really roll my eyes too much because we've had a, a little bit of a warm December. So yeah, that is warm. Yeah. Uh, we're at what? 80 degrees here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's about normal though. We're not, we're not far off yeah. usual here. Okay. Enough uh, random banter. We actually have a list of uh, things we want to know about Marianne and all of your various sundry ministries. Um, and one thing I've noticed in uh, talking to you, getting to know you over the past couple of years is that you seem to be a perpetual student and uh, as a student of uh, the pandemic, as we all have been, uh, what have you learned from this experience, which is not over yet, of course? Right. It's such a good question. And, and uh, some of this came out a little bit in the conversations we had with, at the Presbytery meeting and then the workshop the next day. But um, my, my most recent book that I wrote a few years ago that came out in 2018 is about improvisation as a spiritual practice, um, as a life practice, what we do when life doesn't go according to plan. Um, and the title of the book, my publisher would want me to tell you is God Improv and the Art of Living, still available on, on Amazon and other uh, even better places to buy books, like Bookshop is my current favorite online place. Uh, but I wrote that book uh, really as a way of thinking through kind of how do we find our way forward when, when life is as chaotic and doesn't conform to our kind of, you know, well-planned ideas of what should happen and our, our efforts to grasp at control. And like I said, it came out in 2018 and um, it's a lot of wisdom in it. Uh, you know, improv is really built around this idea of yes and, which is to receive what life offers us even if we don't necessarily like it, uh, to, to kind of accept what is and then to do something affirmative with it, which I, from the minute I heard about Yes And, I thought this is a real faith-inflected idea, right? That um, the world is not always as it should be. And yet as people of faith, we're called to do something, do something with it and to, to make something redemptive to, to, with, with God's nudging and, and intervention uh, to help that happen. And it's just been a really powerful way of looking at the world. And the book kind of tries to, to take this idea of improv, which takes place on stage and takes place in comedy clubs and on whose line is it anyway. And many of us have seen that in, in different venues and say, this really has a spiritual component to it. And so probably the first thing that I really and, and that's just been a thread through the last couple of years is, is seeing, boy, how true that is. Um, and, and how much, you know, the, I think the spiritual kind of heart of yes. And is that serenity prayer that um, is attributed to Reinhold Niebuhr, you know, to accept what we cannot change and to change what we have, we can, and the wisdom to know the difference that God grants us, and that is what true serenity is. And, and it's funny, at the beginning of 2020, I picked my word for the year. A lot of us do that star words where we have little words on slips of paper and people pick them up at epiphany. And 
I chose a word for myself and it was serenity in, in 2020, which turned out to be one of the best things I could have done for myself because um, for me, serenity really is what can I control today and what is in God's hands or what is out of my hands. And I think that this last couple of years has just been one long experience of what can I control and what can I not control? And that's been a, a, a painful lesson, I think, for many of us who, you know, enjoy a certain amount of, of agency over our lives. And we have been really at the mercy of a lot of things beyond our control. So God bless the type A personalities right now. <laughs> yeah, we are not, we are not doing well. <laughs> I actually have your book in front of me. And so I'm like looking and one of the chapters is embrace ambiguity. Should that not like be the motto for us? Right. right, right. And I was well, like, I just cracked up because it says discomfort, anger, tears, foolishness. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. <laughs> I'm like, amen to that. Yes, right. It truly, and and even thinking about the pandemic and, and thinking about, I was reflecting on this recently, like when will it be, there isn't going to be like a clear, like it's over now. It's this thing that we sort of move out of and sort of, even now it's, you know, we're not where we were a year ago, even with Omicron bearing down on us, we have so many more antivirals and, and vaccines obviously. And, um, and so there's this kind of, yeah, ambiguity of even when do we get to sigh with relief that we're we're okay and we're through the dark tunnel. And that's ambiguity in itself of like, when do we get to that point? You know? Yeah. And will we go back into the tunnel? You know, right. we've had that those scares too. Yes. I exactly. liked how you referred to it as um, I think you did this in either the workshop or the plenary, as you know, we're going from pandemic to what endemic, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in that case, the, the threat, you know, it's sort of like the flu, it kind of comes around every year. It, it's very serious for a, a small number of people who may be medically vulnerable or more elderly. And, and we take that seriously, but we, we live in a different way. Um, and as I coach clients who are pastors and, and talk with sessions and things about kind of how do we plan for a ministry right now, the ground under our feet still seems to be rumbling a bit. And so um, things are going to be in an ambiguous place for quite some time. Well, for those of us who um, are avid readers of your books, um, we're I, for one, am looking forward to your next book that you're currently working on. And um, the working title, I guess, which may or may not be what it lands on um, when it's published is Hope, a User's Manual. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of curious how you got to that topic and um, what it is that you hope for. Yeah, um, that book really was my own attempt or is because it's still in process. I have the edits right now that I've been working on and it will hopefully come out at the end of next summer. Um, but we're, we're in, we're in that process now. And it really was my attempt to think about what, 
what do we really mean when we talk about having hope? Um, is hope about uh, an expectation that everything's going to work out okay? You know, if, if the improv book is sort of like, what do we do when things don't go according to plan, whatever, however you think of plan, I think I'm hoping that this book will be, how do we think of hope? How do we understand hope even when things seem hopeless or when we're not sure everything is going to work out okay? And the, the, the genesis of the book actually grew out of a coaching conversation I had with a pastor uh, several years ago who was, um, you know, probably like many people in, in your presbytery and my presbytery here in National Capital, um, a really faithful pastor who was serving a small congregation that had um, over the years experienced membership decline. Um, you know, the, the congregation had aged people's kids weren't coming, you know, their grown kids weren't coming to church. And there was just this kind of sense of, from this pastor who I call Aaron in the book, like I've been trying to hold all this together and, um, and I'm just exhausted. And, and we got to talking about that phrase from uh, Mother Teresa, where she's credited as saying, we're called not to be successful, but to be faithful, right? And I can't even remember how it came up, but we were talking about this and, and this pastor said, you know, I've always heard that and, and it's so comforting, but I think in ministry circles, we say that, and there's kind of this unspoken understanding that if you are faithful, then there will be success, right? The fruits yeah. of that faithfulness will come. And there's kind of this assumption that that will happen. And, and he said, it's just it's just a lie. And I'm, I'm feeling crushed under the weight of that unspoken thing. And I thought that's so true. Right. And, and it's a very kind of American and it's very present in American Christianity, right? Where if we just buckle down, you know, we will ultimately make things happen for ourselves. God's going to bless our efforts and we're not real prosperity gospel kind of folk in the Presbyterian church, but it leaks in, in, in kind of other ways. And, and it just got me thinking, what, what does Aaron, you know, this, this pastor and his congregation, what does hope look like for them? And, and how do we access hope? Even if, you know, someday that church may decline to the point where they have lived through their life cycle and it's time to close their doors. And is that a failure or is that, um, can there be hope in that as well? And, and so that is, uh, that is something that, um, really provided the, the core of, of the writing of that book. And, um, and in terms of, of what I personally hope for, um, uh, you're catching me on a tough day. It's been a really rough week, you know, um, with the tornadoes in Kentucky and, yeah. um, the, you know, Omicron sort of here. And, and I was just, uh, texting with a friend who, lives in the Chicago area and the local schools on lockdown because there was a weapons threat there. And the, the kids at his church are, are texting, you know, him and, and staff saying, God, this is traumatic, you know? Um, and so I think when I, when I think about what I hope for um, it's in really small kinds of, of acts of, of, grace and mercy that we can offer to one another and, and a, and going back to the improv idea, you know, I really see God 
um, in the mix with us. I mean, that's what the season is about, right? God becoming flesh. And, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean God is up there as puppet master pulling the strings, but God is, is in the flesh. Um, and, and so for me, hope has, has, is a real immediate close in kind of feeling for me. Um, and, and it's other things too, but that's kind of where I'm feeling it today. Uh, you know, that we can find our way into the, the next right thing and that there are things worth, things worth doing. And I, I say this in the book too, you, you all may have heard that phrase, you know, um, what would you attempt if, um, if you knew you could not fail? I mean, you can see that on posters and things, you know, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And, and I think for me, hope is grounded in a question that is, what is worth doing even if we will fail? Mm, or even if yeah. we might fail, you know, like what, what is, what has enough goodness in it that it's worth attempting, even if it doesn't work out as we hope. And there's hope in that question in itself. So. So Wonderful. my, my next question sort of piggybacking on that and, and maybe it can be a teaser for your book is um, were there any little um, Holy spirit glimmers of insights that popped up as you were writing um, that you would like to leak out just to yeah. like share with us. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite sections of the book. So the, the book is arranged in, in six sections and there are um, kind of short, like 750 word reflections. So they're meant to be really bite-sized pieces that people can consume um, in each of those. And my favorite section that I really enjoyed writing was um, it's called, I think the section is called something like hope. And this can all change because it's still being edited, but hope travels in story. And the idea that hope is not an outcome. Hope is not, we input this and then we output this. Like it's, it's not a direct cause and effect thing. It's a story that we live within. And I really had a lot of fun finding um, ways of thinking about hope in Marvel movies and in Lord of the Rings and, you know, and, and these narratives that we uh, respond to. And, and even I'm really interested in, in why people are so interested in dystopia these days. People are in kind of a mood for apocalyptic movies, you know, like the world is always on the brink of disaster. And, and those are really popular right now. And I kind of wonder why that is. And I think part of it is, man, if everything's falling apart, it really is just about me and you and, and how can we serve one another and be there for one another in relationship. And, and that to me is, uh, is kind of a fun, uh, a fun section of the book. There's also more, a more practical section that's called the practice of hope. And that's like, how do we, how do we live out hope in, in tangible ways? What are some practices that we can do? Um, so those are two that come to mind that are, that are really uh, special to me. And I'm really eager for people to, to read them and encounter them and work with them. Well, you know that Cheryl and I are going to be reading it uh, as soon as that book comes out. So awesome. Uh, yeah. We'll be able to uh, spread the word about, uh, book of hope because uh, hope is in short supply these days so it is it yeah is. Uh, i think it's going to be a very timely um uh, work uh and i wish it could show up sooner but you know i know how that <laughs> Me too. process Me too. works uh, yeah get it you got to 
do the due diligence as it were. That's right. That's right. I, I have so many thoughts when I'm talking to you, I have to sort of jot them down and, and see which ones, uh, uh, you know, would serve our podcast audience the best, you know, a little uh, inside baseball here for those listening is uh, we often come up with questions ahead of time. And I think a lot of podcasts probably do this. You know, it's, it's not as improv as uh, you might think, but uh, uh, you know, we have our list of questions, but then there's stuff that just sort of bubbles up to the surface and seems really uh, relevant to talk about. So, you know, you were talking about the prosperity gospel and uh, how we're not really, you know, geared that way in the Presbyterian church, but we do have this sort of, transactional sort of faith, I think, that we expect, you know, something going on there, right? Right. Uh, but then I was thinking about improv, about the yes and, you know, how that's like the, the overarching mantra that, that everyone in improv uh, embraces. And it got me thinking about, um, can yes and be acceptance in adding on to it? Or can it be is there a no component to a yes and, mm, mm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and you probably addressed that in the book, but I, I haven't read it lately. So uh, yeah. what, 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 you know, like, I, I think of the scene from the classic friends episode where, you know, you got to pivot when you're carrying that big piece of furniture <laughs> up the stairs. What's the pivot? Yeah, that's such a good question. In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine and I'll shout him out here. Marthane Sanders. He is a, a oh, pastor. I know Marthane. Yeah, and a another free range pastor type in uh, in the Atlanta area, and he was just doing a, a workshop, and I can't remember where, so I won't I won't try to guess. But they had a really really fruitful conversation about yes and and the limits of yes and because I think what I'm about to say is a, a kind of distortion of yes and, but you can you can see a scenario where people say you as um, someone in an abusive relationship, you know, yes. And is just, well, this is what's happening and you just need to make the best of it. Or um, you think about racial injustice or, or economic, um, you know, oppression or these kinds of things. Yes. And doesn't mean that we just stay complacent. Right. And so I think implicit in your question, Jody, is, is what, what, how can yes. And function as a, a way, as a means of resistance, right? When, when things right. need to be resisted and, and, um, and protested. Um, and the way I think about that and thought about that in the book um, was that, that we say no in service to a larger yes. So, I mean, I have a friend who, who left a, a really difficult marriage and, um, and I asked her one time, cause I was, had improv on the brain and I was like, did that feel like a no? I mean, was it hard to get over that kind of, you had pledged your life to this, this, uh, to make a commitment in this, in this uh, relationship. And she said, you know, it, it never did. It really was me. Um, this needed to end so that a better life for me could be on the other side of it. Um, so that's the way I talked about in, in the book, but, um, but Martha in this conversation, I mean, they, they really kind of, pressed him um, to say um, there are ways in which the yes and in, in the wrong hands can be kind of a function of privilege. And I think hope kind of works this way too, a little bit. Um, one of the really amazing, mind-blowing things that kind of helped the book take shape was a, a presentation at, at Next Church in 2020, right before 
um, lockdown happened, it was kind of the last big, it was the last hurrah before many of us went home and, and sort of sequestered in our homes. Um, but we heard from an ethicist named Miguel de la Torre, who talked about the ways that hope can sometimes be um, a tool of the oppressors to kind of keep people marginalized, to say, you want to hope in a, in a better world, you know, things are going to happen on, you know, on the other side. And, and he was saying, his book is called Embracing Hopelessness, in fact, and saying, um, he said, when, when people are desperate, they will take action. And it's almost, that happens when, when all hope is gone. I have nothing left to lose, in other words, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to take action here. And, and I think there's a little of that in your question, Jody, of like, um, when we say no to something, it's like, I, I cannot stand here anymore. And, and I need to take a, I need to take a stand here and, and say, this is not right. So that's, that's still kind of sorting itself out in my mind, but I think it's a great question to, to kind of wrestle with. Yeah. That's the, uh, the, the beauty of improv is, you know, uh, as a dramatical uh, practice, you know, uh, everybody's under this understanding that, you're helping each other out. So in real life, when you're not always, you know, under that operational standard, sometimes you say yes, but instead of yes, and. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The thing they say in, in, in improv is uh, that, that the characters on stage don't need to agree. They can be in it for their own. They may have their own little motivations and things, but the improvisers need to agree on what kind of scene you're in. I mean, it's sort of like, we need to agree on the basic reality. And then you're a, you know, caveman and you're Mrs. Caveman and y'all aren't getting along. Right. So it's not that there's never any conflict on stage, but you're all kind of in the same. And I think here's another challenge with this kind of improv frame is that because we're all able to watch whatever news channels and consume whatever media we choose we may not even feel like we're in the same scene with one another. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. polarization is, is really huge. And so that has come up a lot as well. So, you know, like a, a friend of mine said, you know, all models are, what is it? All models are wrong, but they're all useful, right? There's, there's, a, mm -hmm. lot, there's, there's a lot to critique in this idea of yes and, especially when we live in a world where you're in one scene where you have this set of facts, and I am in this scene that has a whole different set of facts. And how do we even yes and together? Um, and there's a whole, we could go off and, you know, because I have some ideas about that, but that's the challenge that we're in right now. So. Well, so Marianne, um, your first book was about Sabbath and then you followed up with improv and now you're on to hope. So is there something that is a thread that, is woven between those three topics for you or as Jody defined it as the grand unified theory of Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed when I saw that on the outline because I, uh, it made me think about the fact that as, as, as preachers, as pastors, we kind of all have our pet themes that we like to preach. And, you know, the joke is that we each only have like three sermons and we just kind of preach them <laughs> in different ways. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, you know, so I, I definitely have mine, my, my God is way beyond our understanding sermon, you know, and our, uh, and our go, you know, take a chance on, on, uh, 
take a risk for your faith kind of, you know, sermon. I was like, Oh, I have mine. Um, but it's a great question. I really feel like they, they definitely flow one from another. I mean, the, the Sabbath book, I think really led to, to improv because, um, so much of our Sabbath practice as a family that I write about in that book was really about, um, embracing the imperfections of it, you know, and, and improv is all about just putting something out there on stage, you know, on stage being a metaphor for life, ministry, whatever. And, and, uh, that, that taking action, maybe this is the grand unified theory. Cause I, I saw that question. I was like, I really don't, I, I'm not sure, but I think the, the grand unifying theory is, is to do something to, to take a, you know, to take a step and to, um, you know, regardless, I mean, don't, don't worry about it being perfect, I think is the, and I think that's true of all of them. I mean, I tell people when I talk about Sabbath, like just, even if you can't do a whole day, like make it an hour or, uh, you know, Sabbath every three weeks, like just start where you are. And improv is very much built around that. I have a friend who loves to say, um, and she says this with her congregation, she's done a lot of improv stuff with them. She says, there are no mistakes. There are only unsupported actions. So when something happens in, in worship, you know, the microphone doesn't work or somebody reads the wrong scripture, that's only a mistake if we don't meet that person with grace and, well, let's work with that. You know, like they, they said the wrong thing or they skipped over the congregational response. We're going we're gonna to just uh, embrace that and, and, and do whatever comes next, you know. And yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think maybe that's, that's part of hope, too, is, you know, we, we started at the top of the conversation. You know, you asked me about where I see hope and I'm like, oh, you caught me on a tough week, you know. But um, where I see it is, is in the next right thing. Like people who are, I mean, we're hearing right now about case counts and, and in a lot of you know, parts of the country, the healthcare workers are just so um, exhausted and burned out. And, and just the fact that people are showing up to work to faithfully do that difficult, difficult labor, you know, day after day, shift after shift. Um, I see so much hope in that. And it's just, we do what little bit we can, you know, give whatever small good we can. And I think that's the, that's the thread. That is a good thread. And when you were thinking about worship, I was, it made me think about, uh, you know, what, what is God's response to our worship, right? It's not like God's going to say, you know, oh, your worship, uh, you, you, uh, you know, you missed a Zoom cue, uh, you know, right. go back and start over, right? It's, that's yeah. not how that works. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've had plenty of opportunities to improv right. the past year right. and a half. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe that's part of the, the grand unified theory too, is, I mean, I, I grew up Southern Baptist and, and some of the, there's a lot of beautiful things about that. A, a little, some of the baggage was a little bit of a kind of a punishing God, you know, you kind of sure. got to get it right. Don't fall, draw, fall out of line. And so I've done a lot of healing around that, but what's on the other side of that is a God who um, doesn't need our perfect efforts. Like, I mean, if we needed to get it right all the time, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. <laughs> we wouldn't have yeah. needed redemption. Yeah. Um, and it's not that we don't try to bring our best, but um, 
you know, those of us who struggle with perfectionism, that's real grace to say, you are enough. Everything that you're bringing now is, is um, God, you are God's beloved, even in the midst of all of that. Yeah. What do we say? The perfect is the enemy of the good, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's true of all three of the the books. I mean, you know, I mean, I, the books themselves, I look back at them and go, oh, I wish I'd put that differently. Um, <laughs> but it's better to, to put your imperfect offering out in the world and, and let people, you know, work with it and, you know, make it better through their own discussions and explorations of it. So, you know, what I uh, pick up on in, you know, questions like the grand unified theory of Mary Ann uh, <laughs> also comes from a knowledge and um, a passion that I somewhat share with you. Uh, you take it to more extremes than I do, and that's distance running. Uh-huh. So, you know, I've run my share of marathons and half marathons, and, and you've done those as well as some longer runs and some, some other things where you're like running like what? five miles every, I don't know, hour or so uh, and yeah. doing that for 24 hours for charity. I'm like, what right. is this kind of nonsense she's up to, but it's great, <laughs> great stuff. So uh, talk a little bit about that and what you have learned from distance running, because this whole thread seems like a distance run of sorts right now. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. In fact, someone said, um, you know, early on in the pandemic, they're like, this is, this isn't even, this isn't a sprint. And it's not a marathon; it's an ultra marathon. And and I, I, I think I'm, I either wrote a blog post or I just reflected on this that there is a race, and, and I think it's called the Backyard Burn. And basically, what they do is they run a loop um, every hour. So they kind of return. You know, they do three, or four, four or five miles, however long. They come back to the start, and they do that every hour on the hour until there's one person remaining. And so what that means is you don't know going into it, the people, I mean, mere mortals like you and me and uh, would not make it very far in this race, but the people who are trying to win, are they going to go 200 miles? Are they going to go 150 miles? They don't know. They just know that it's going to go until there's one person left, right? And, yeah. and I, that's, that's what this pandemic has been, right? <laughs> I mean, because I mean, a marathon, you at least know 26.2 miles and then you're done, right? And an ultra marathon, if you do 50 miler, you know, that's how long it's going to be. But this one is, we don't know how long this is. And you run differently when you are in that kind of race, you pace yourself more, you rest when you can, you, you fuel differently, you eat, you know, you eat food that you know that you can tolerate. And I just think about how we've all had to pace ourselves. And I know maybe you all have seen as church leaders, this latest, these last five, six months have been harder in a lot of ways than the first five to six months of pandemic because it's so, Oh, I thought we were done. Like, and and some people are like, we are done, (laughs) you know, like throw the doors open, you know? Um, And you just have to run differently when you are in a race of indeterminate length. And, um, that, yeah, I mean, that'll, that'll preach as far as I'm concerned uh, in terms of the, the world that we're, we're currently living in. Yeah. My own coach, um, she does a lot of, uh, ultras as well. And, uh, you know, one thing that she has is a dedicated husband who serves as her crew. And sometimes right. we come out and crew her as well when she's doing a long race. So we'll run, you know, whatever distance with her and, yep. uh, you know, that makes a big difference too, uh, 
So I don't know how anybody does, you know, those long distance runs. I don't know if anybody does, honestly, you have to have a crew. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Whether, whether the people know that you have a crew or not, Mm -hmm. you have a crew. Yep. And, and that is what has been hard about this is that we all have needed a crew and yet we're all running right now. Um, You know, when you think about if I have a death in my family or, you know, God forbid a health crisis, chances are good. There's my, my team, my people around me aren't going through that exact same thing and they can crew me. And we've all needed to learn how to run and crew one another at the same time for the last Mm. almost Mm. two years. And so that's, that's above my pay grade to think about all of the, the, the sort of collective trauma and just exhaustion that we're all facing. But, um, you know, I would love for us to kind of just wipe our hands when this is done and say, whew, we made it, but it's going, we're, we're different. We're different as a culture and as people. And, and I think the sooner we acknowledge that and say, what's the gift in that, I think we'll be better off. Well, we've, we've traveled um, um, quite a journey throughout the podcast. And so we're going to return to um, Christmas. And, yay. Um, yay. and so we were wondering what is your favorite Christmas tradition? Mm. Our favorite Christmas tradition as, as a family um, is one that um, we always cross our fingers that Christmas Eve is not on a Sunday because we listen to uh, the King's College service of nine lessons and carols um, that's broadcast from Cambridge, England. And I think here on the East Coast, I think that's at 10 o'clock or nine o'clock, um, but it's an, a mid-afternoon service there. And it's just a beautiful, we, we're all choir geeks um, in our family, in our extended family. My husband's family has been listening to it for decades. And it, it's, it's a bummer when Christmas Eve's on a Sunday because we're in a, um, we're in a congregation when that is going on. But I mean, there's something beautiful about that too, but that's, that's an every year tradition for for a long time now. Yeah, that's cool. How about snack, holiday snack, or do you have a movie oh, yeah. that you just have to watch? Oh, well, Maybe we both. always, yeah, oh, we always at watch the same Christmas, time. <laughs> yeah, right. We always watch a Christmas story and, and uh, we do the, the specials. My kids are, are still, you know, middle school, high school and first year of college. And so we do the Charlie Brown, we do the Rudolph, you know, Rankin Bass special. Um, my, holiday snack tradition is I make my mother's, uh, buttermilk pralines and I have it, I use the candy thermometer. I mean, I, I have it down to a science, um, and, uh, that I make batches and batches of those at Christmas time. Um, they're just, a, you know, they pecans and brown sugar, uh, candy and they I've are never had a praline until oh, man. like just the past month or so when ah. my in-laws brought some back from New Orleans. They took a riverboat cruise down the Mississippi nice. and they brought some from New Orleans. I'm like, what is a praline anyway? So I yes. just open this thing up and I and I take a bite and I'm like, how have I missed this wondrousness <laughs> all my life? What a world, right? I know some people call them pralines and I still haven't figured out what the regional, I, I grew up in Texas and I don't know, you know, New Orleans, they have them there too. And um, so anyway, that's, uh, that is the stuff. I'm well, so glad. Well, as good Jody... Presbyterians, we're, we say pralines, right, Mary? There you go. <laughs> that is right. And they are, a, they are a religious experience for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Well, it's been a delight to have you on the podcast, and uh, this is this is the last that we're going to extract from the wisdom and experience of Mary Ann. We have we have uh, at least for now. I was just yeah. going to say maybe until after her book comes out and we there have a chance go. to read it. Then we'll... Yes, I would love. Hey, to maybe come we'll back. do I'm... like a, do it for a Presbytery book club. Um, there you go, read, and then we can mm. invite you in to discussing I would love that and I I love that you all have a podcast I think that's great I want to I want to suggest that for our own crowd here it's great yeah we have fun doing it we don't we don't do it you know uh perfectly we don't do it like frequently we do it when we can and uh we just do it for fun so that sounds like part of grand unified theory of uh of central florida presbytery right you got it you got it so thanks for coming today Mary Ann and we wish you uh, a Merry Christmas and uh, happy all the other holidays and uh, may your family be well as the pandemic just sort of ebbs and flows and yes, it'll flow indeed. on out of here. Yes. Amen to that. Thank you both. Thank you, Cheryl and Jody. It's a lot of fun. You're welcome. All right. It's been a pleasure for, for us both, all three. So Yes. Well, friends, uh, you've made it to the end of another episode of uh, Central Florida Presbycast. So uh, go out and find the closest praline store and treat yourself. Uh, Because uh, if you haven't had one like me, you are certainly missing out. And, uh, you know, tell us, uh, you know, what it tasted like. And uh, if it gives you a little taste of hope for the future. Uh, And uh, I'll let you um, email Cheryl Carson directly with that yeah, yeah, it could what, be like an Advent practice, Cheryl? Jody. We could make it an right. Advent practice to have a praline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. Drop a little prayer love while you're eating the that delectable morsel. Sounds good. All yes, right. love All it. All right, you've had enough. We've had enough. We're signing off for now. You have made it to the end of episode twelve of Cinder Forward Presby Cast. Peace, friends, and we'll see you in 2022.